0: following program is recorded content created by the truth network
1: phone lines are open let's do it you've got questions we've got answers
2: it's time for the line of fire with your host biblical scholar and cultural commentator dr michael brown your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity call 866-34-TRUTH to get on the line of fire and now here's your host dr michael brown
1: Thanks so much for joining us on the line of fire. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you. Phone lines are open. we got a few lines open right now. The sooner you call in, better chance I have of getting to your call through the show. So 866-34-TRUTH, 866 348 Any subject of any kind that ties in in any way with anything we ever talk about on the broadcast, anything ever write about, preach about, any questions you have, any rumors you've heard, you want to get truth out of let's talk about it 866-342 you're also free to call if you differ with me want to challenge me on something not offend it no problem if you do as long as it's a conversation we can have on live christian radio then by all means give me a call okay one quick note god willing tomorrow i leave for india my 28th trip to india absolutely love being over there with some of my dearest friends and colleagues in the world scheduled to return a week later so just about as much time spent traveling as there in India. And then we've got some special broadcasts prepared for you next week. You don't want to miss a single broadcast. We won't be live, but trust me, the interviews, we've already recorded them, are amazing. We've got almost an entire debate to play for you on, on Thursday Jewish Thursday. We, we've got great questions we're answering on Friday, so don't miss a day. And if you think of it, pray for grace on the traveling and grace on my time there in India. right, we start with our buddy Eddie in Madison, Connecticut. Welcome to the Line of Fire.
2: Dr. Brown, great to talk to you today. Hey. Dr. Brown, we had a hot topic uh, this week with the Trinity, which always causes a lot of fireworks and a lot of talking. And I said that if we just had the Torah and we read the Torah from Genesis to Malachi, would we see a clear picture of three, of three and one? And that's how it started. And one guy said the illustration, I think you might have said in the past, with the egg, here's one egg, but you got the shell, the white, the yolk, all the same, but the one egg. But then a scripture hit me, Dr. Brown, which caused trouble, where I said, well, wait a minute. If everybody's the same, doesn't it say in the New Testament you could say a word about the Son, that'll be forgiven you, but if you say something about the Spirit, you ain't going to be forgiven. So I said, well, wait a minute. That's two different things. One, you get forgiven, the other one, you don't get forgiven. So how can it be the same? And that's
1: right. how the trouble starts got it okay so so two issues first if, if we only had the the Old Testament the Hebrew Scriptures could we see the Trinity certainly not with the full clarity of the New Testament but we see God who is hidden whom no one can see who creates the universe who fills heaven and earth we see where God comes down in human form and mingles among us as in Genesis 18 and then we see the Spirit of God beginning in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 That references the work of the Spirit of God and then elsewhere in the Old Testament where the Spirit leads where the Spirit teaches where the Spirit can be grieved so but we know there's one God and one God only that's the emphatic message so the father is not the same as the son meaning the identical person where the son the same as the spirit it's one God who is father son and spirit so are Father, Son, and Spirit all the same in terms of deity? Yes. All the same in terms of eternity? Yes. All the same in terms of being all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect, etc. Yes. Are Father, Son, and Spirit identical in terms of function and aspects of, of you know, we, can, we can refer to their identity. Obviously, any word we use, person, identity, character, those are human words to describe God but the Father is different than the Son, the Son's different than the Spirit, Spirit's different than the Son and the Father, at least in terms of function. So because the Spirit has a certain role on the earth, to blaspheme the Spirit is especially severe. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he is doing ministry by the power of the Spirit. So it's Mark 3 where this is explained. And the religious leaders accuse him of driving out demons by the power of Satan. He said, you've crossed a line with that so it was because of the nature of what the holy spirit does and he is the one that glorifies jesus and then jesus glorifies the father it's especially severe when you reject him he's the one that's actually bringing the the work he's the one that's carrying it out he's the one that's bringing the message so that complete rejection of him is what puts you in in that especially dangerous ground but obviously if someone dies denying jesus and refusing him as lord they're lost if someone dies rejecting god and saying i don't want you in my life they're lost but it's a particular sin against the spirit that jesus says is unforgivable because of the way he works so one god with different functions and because of that there we relate differently in, in that regard right and the, okay. the, yeah the one thing i'd say it is is this the key thing is I, I I love God. God is working in my life, right? One God. And I come to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. I mean, you could make it technical like that, but I'm just having relationship with God. I'm communing with God. I'm pouring my heart out to God. So he wants us to come to him as Father through what Jesus did and who Jesus is. <clears throat> he wants us to do that because it's important for us to relate to him as Father, as the source, as, as the the one who has everything we need. The one that we come to as a child would come to a father. But Jesus is also called our friend. And we have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So I'm communing with God. I'm normally talking to the father. Sometimes I'll speak directly to Jesus, but it's it's I'm not making the separation like, oh, spirit's over here, father's over here, son's over here. So let's think of one God, but the way he works in this world, there are clear differentations between father, son, and spirit as well. Hey, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. 866-348-7884. Let's go to Steven in central New York. Welcome to the line of fire.
3: Uh, Hello, Dr. Brown.
1: Um, Mm.
3: I had a question about the prophets who predicted that Trump would win a second term after the first term. Mm -hmm. Um, Supposed to avoid accountability uh, those prophets turn around and say that all prophecy is conditional, mm-hmm. and that the conditions were not met, so Donald Trump lost. Mm-hmm. Well, how how would you respond right. to that?
1: So, so let me let me say three things to that. Number one, there were people who emphatically said he is going to have eight consecutive years. It's done. It's assured. It's going to happen. I guarantee it. So the people who spoke like that have moved beyond conditional prophecy. That's the first thing. And there were people who definitely did that. I documented that. Uh, some I, I called out publicly for that very thing. So if you go beyond that, if you guarantee it, if you say that uh, it's going to happen, I'm sure of it, etc. cetera, and, and even after It was viewed that he lost the elections and people are still saying, I'm guaranteeing it. You watch and see Biden's not going to be inaugurated. So they've moved beyond conditionality and therefore they were wrong and they need to repent and recognize their error and get accountability and restoration. That's first thing. Second thing is even if there were conditions, they were not stated plainly. In other words, it was not if we will pray, if we will humble ourselves, if we will fast, if we will do this, that he will be elected. Rather, it was no God showed me that he will be in for four more years. In other words, they were saying God already showed me what would happen. But let's just say that you can say that all prophecy, if you just make a statement, is still conditional. Uh, the Lord says Donald Trump will have four more years in office, you know, for the or eight consecutive years. And theoretically, even when you say it, it's all conditional based on Jeremiah 18, that when God says he's going to bless the nation and the nation sins, instead of blessing, he'll judge. If he says he's going to judge them and they repent instead of judging, he'll bless. The fact is the conditions were met. In other words, we prayed like I've never seen prayer. There were prayer meetings all over America. There were prayer meetings all over the world. There were Christians praying day and night for God to have his way in the elections there was fasting Uh, after the elections there there were prayer tours in different city and prayer videos watched by the hundreds of thousands i never saw so much prayer in a concerted way as right before and right after the 2020 elections for donald trump and for god to have his way in the elections so even there the conditionality argument doesn't work but as i said for the first two reasons it breaks down already because some guaranteed it would happen even after the vote counts and others simply said it is a fact. God has showed me that this is the reality that will take place. So unfortunately there's no loophole. Look, it's one thing if you if you speak to someone and and say, Hey, I see you're launching this new business, the, the Lord has shown me He's really gonna prosper and bless your business, right? And then you walk away from the Lord, you renounce him and you use the business for illegal purposes and the thing collapses. Okay, well, didn't meet the conditions, fine. But you know, this, this is a pure cop-out and, and nothing less than that. People say, well, mm-hmm. maybe 2024 he'll be reelected. Even so, that's not what we were told. We were told he, he would be the president in 2020. He would have eight consecutive years, etc. So these are false prophecies that need accountability, that need repentance, that need understanding of how they got off, why they got off, and then take paths to get on the right track. So that's as blunt as I can be about it, sir.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you very much
1: you are you are very welcome uh, let let me remind you of something and then i'll get back to the phones when these prophecies were coming forth i said in advance listen if if this is god wonderful let it be if if not then let's understand what's happening no one's throwing you under the bus after the elections when people were still proclaiming i said okay so either you're right or wrong we're gonna see very soon, the inauguration is coming. Either you're right or wrong. And there's no wiggle room. Don't, don't play with this. Don't try to change it and move the goalposts and all that. So I, I addressed all that in advance. I said, if you're right, you're holding on courageously. You're believing when all the evidence is against you. God bless you. We commend you for your courage. And as a Trump voter, I hoped they were right in, 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 in one regard. On the other hand, I said, if you're wrong, then you got to humble yourself you got to do the right thing. you got to acknowledge your error. This is bringing reproach to the name of Jesus. This is making the things of the Spirit into a mockery. It's hurting the body as a whole. It's damaging our witness, and on and on. So you need to humble yourself. When Jeremiah Johnson, my younger colleague and friend, did that very thing, humbled himself and repented for prophesying falsely, he got horrifically attacked for it i mean thousands of people stopped subscribing to his newsletter people stopped giving him money he got death threats why because he said i repent i was one said no you never repent you hold to your word and you just speak it that's a real sickness in the body there's a real problem really needs addressing go to propheticstandards.com if you haven't gone there propheticstandards.com if you want in-depth understanding get my book the political Seduction of the Church. I've got two whole chapters dealing with the failed and false prophecies. Hey, if you got a question, post it on YouTube or Facebook. We'll try to take some online questions as well. It's,
2: we it's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling eight six six three four 34 truth Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
1: Thanks for joining us on the line of fire. Let's go back to the phones, starting with Douglas in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Hello, Douglas. All right, so Douglas asked a question, but is not here to ask it. Why do people say they're apostles today? The same reason that people say they're pastors or evangelists or teachers. In other words, they believe God has called them to do apostolic work, which to them is is not higher or lower than pastoral work or other service. In other words, it's just another expression of ministry. They recognize that the 12 apostles in the New Testament were unique, but that others in the New Testament, like Barnabas, are called apostles as well. So they're emissaries. They are spiritual fathers. They are pioneers. They are foundation layers. They are movement birthers. They are church planters with multiple churches and things that become movements. So they they have a certain function in the body. So they recognize this as a calling and they identify themselves as such. Now, some say, well, why do that? Why say Apostle Joe? Good question. But you have to say the same thing for why say Pastor Joe or Evangelist Joe. In, In other words, it's no different. If you believe these things are for today, then it's no different. You could say, by calling us apostolic or by calling us pastoral, right? It, it's the same thing. That's why some people would use that. Now, are there people who falsely call themselves apostles? Sure, but there are people who falsely call themselves teachers and pastors as well, right? If you don't believe these things exist today, that's a separate issue. But those who do believe in what we call fivefold ministry or fourfold, because the pastor teacher would be two aspects of the same. Those who believe there for today, it's it's not a big deal to say, oh, we recognize you have an apostolic calling. Okay, we recognize you have a teaching calling. Okay, you recognize you have an evangelistic calling. Okay, this is another aspect of calling and ministry. Uh, let's go to Stephanie in Ball Ground, Georgia. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, Dr. Brown, how are you? Doing very well, thank you.
0: So I know that um, the Levite tribe was the Priestly tribe, and Mm -hmm. Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. Yep. So, I'm 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 just curious how that works out.
1: Yes. So the Messiah had to come through the line of Judah, through the line of David, because the Messiah was first and foremost a king. So the kingship was through David, and because of that, through the tribe of Judah. But he was a priestly king. He functioned in priestly ways, but not as a traditional Levitical priest he functioned as a, as a priest of a different order. So Hebrews seven emphasizes that, that he functions as a priest like Melchizedek, who is a king and priest. And in Psalm 110, it says of the Messiah, you're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So someone from a, a different group, someone outside of the tribe of Levi, someone who was not functioning as a temple servant, but rather someone who had a higher function as a priest that's who Jesus was. So he didn't go into the temple and perform priestly ministry there. He didn't do those things, but as a high priest, he ultimately offered himself for our sins. So he is a king who is a priest. And because of that, he comes through the tribe of Judah, but he performs his priestly functions by divine calling, not by lineage. And again, the best thing to study on that is, is Hebrews. If you go through Hebrews seven through 10, Uh, That's the clearest section in scripture that addresses that, but Hebrews 7 in particular.
0: Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate the clarity on that.
1: You're very welcome. If if his calling, his primary calling was to do priestly ministry in the temple, then he would have had to be the tribe of Levi, but his priestly calling transcended that. Um, All right, let's go over to Fred in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Welcome to the line of fire.
0: Uh, hello dr michael cow hey is Fred. um i have a question about uh hebrew israelism and like the rise of, of anti-semitism in america yes. is it is it m- mostly coming from just this weird cult hebrew israelism or is there like because because i'm seeing like kanye West and Kyrie irving and um it, it just seems like it all just kind of happened all at once and like is that all because of the Hebrew israelism or is they're like just some weird hatred of, of Jews.
1: Or so or so there, there are two sides to it. Uh, one, it appears to have happened out of the blue. It appears to have just happened, but these things have been rising and fermenting for many, many years in, in different cultures and backgrounds. So it, it uh, looks like, and feels like it happened out of nowhere, uh, but it's, it's been building. So in, in terms of, of, Black anti-Semitism, so I'm speaking very, very broad, wide terms. There is the the Hebrew-Israelitism, which has been growing. But remember, before that, there was the Nation of Islam, which is also laced with anti-Semitism in many cases. And Louis Farrakhan has often been accused of being an anti-Semite, rightly so. So uh, you've had these different influences in the black community, not the entire black community. I'm, I'm not saying blacks are anti-Semites any more than whites are anti-Semites. That's, that's not the point. We're talking about blacks who are anti-Semites or whites who are anti-Semites. Where does it, where does it come from? So what, what happens is that you have these different streams that feed in. So Hebrew Israelitism is a more recent one. Nation of Islam is one before that. So you've got these different streams feeding in and, and then the thing grows and festers and gets worse. That's one thing. The other thing is that there was a time in America where black and Jewish relations were much closer and were much better. And that there were even prominent Jewish leaders like Abraham Joshua Heschel and other rabbis who marched side side by side with Dr. King. And a perception of of Jews and blacks being involved together as minorities in America and wanting to see uh, American Jews, wanting to see freedom and equality for for black Americans but those relationships have largely broken down and there's probably been guilt on both sides in that regard in other words you might have Jewish communities side by side with black communities and animosity both ways and and maybe the local blacks might have feel, felt the Jews were just separating themselves who were acting in a superior way or what do they seem to have it better than we do and then many of the Jews may have acted in a superior way, et cetera. So things go both ways. So social dynamics friction between blacks and Jews, which, like I say, can go both ways, can contribute to the negative feeling. And then anti-Semitism is always there under the surface. So all you have to do is have successful Jews here or you have a bad business contract with a Jew. It's the Jews. You, you, A Jewish person gets ahead of a scholarship ahead of you. It's the Jews, so it becomes generalized and then demonized. But these are some of the factors that, that's fed into it for sure. Um, all right, let's see here. Uh, Christianity on YouTube. Uh, so is the resurrection of the dead after the millennial reign or before? Also, Jesus said we won't even desire marriage just like the angels. You agree, brother. It doesn't say we won't desire marriage, but we, we won't be... Marrying or giving in marriage. In other words, we're not going to be marrying are not going to be having children in the world to come. And so we're not going to have lustful sexual desires either. If we've been married to someone in this world, obviously there's a special relationship in the world to come, but things are different because it doesn't function in the same way to procreate. It's not a sexual relationship. We're not bringing children into the world. Uh, As for the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of the righteous, first resurrection is before the millennial kingdom, when Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom on the earth. Then at the end of the millennium is, is a final judgment where those whose names are not written in the book of life are cast into the lake of fire. That is the second death and the final resurrection. So the righteous that died during the millennium will be resurrected at that time, but will enter into eternity. So the main resurrection of the righteous, the one we're looking forward to, is in conjunction with Jesus returning before the millennium, the general resurrection of all the dead is after the millennium. And let's see, Sakari on YouTube, or the curses of Deuteronomy. Ah, okay. Uh, t- tell you what, I think we've got uh, Cedric on the phone here. So let's take the call. If, is this the same one just posted on YouTube? If this is Sakari. Hey, welcome to the line of fire. How are you doing? Doing good, thanks. Yeah,
4: so I was just asking that question right there. Are the curses of Deuteronomy 28, are they over... Are they, are they done with, or are those still in effect today?
1: Right, so do you mean for the Jewish people or for Christians in general?
4: Well, just for the people who the covenant was made with, because the curses were supposed to have fallen upon the children of Israel
1: and right. their descendants. Right, so uh, on the one hand, there's a new and better covenant that has been made through Jesus. On the other hand, the Jewish world does not recognize that And is still living under the sinai covenant so for the jewish world there's no reason to say that the curses would have stopped in in other words that jewish suffering over the centuries being scattered around the world uh suffering terrible things obviously satan's tried to wipe out the jewish people as well but there's no reason to think that those those curses have have stopped and if there would be national (coughs) repentance that blessings would be restored as well so yes i I believe that they still continue uh over the the jewish nation uh god can god can work in mercy in other words when he brought israel back out of the babylonian exile he said it's not because your righteousness because you're still sinning i'm doing it for my name's sake so he brought the jewish people back to the land not because of jewish righteousness most of the founders of the zionist movement and the early pioneers were were not god-fearing people were not torah observant people Uh, many of them in fact were, were actually atheists but God, in his mercy, brought them back. And, is, and Israel today is not righteous. Israel stands by God's grace today. But the suffering over the centuries, the scattering, the, the attacks on us, it's the, it's the unfolding of the curses for disobedience, tragically. And that's another reason we pray for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Hey, I've got a break, but thank you for the call. Thanks for posting on YouTube and making the effort to call as well. We will be right back.
2: You can't resist us. it's the line of fire with your host dr Michael Brown get on the line of fire by calling 34 truth here again is dr Michael Brown
1: all right I'm gonna open some answers some Social media questions, I'm gonna go back to the phones, 866-34-TRUTH, but first, I've got a personal request. If you don't get my emails, would you take a moment to sign up for them? We really wanna get you in our welcome program to to share more of my own life story background with you, to share more of our burden with you, and then to, to let you know how we can serve you, how how we can help infuse you with faith and truth and courage, how, how we can develop health, spiritual health and strength in your life. And, and make sure that you know we have special resources available or, or new videos released or when we're coming to your area to speak or where a new book is coming out that you'll be the first to know. And every week you'll, you'll be updated on latest articles and videos so you don't have to constantly track them. We'll, we'll let you know about them. So would you do that? I, I would love to be more deeply connected. And there's only so much I can do talking through this radio mic with you. This way we can be in much more contact and, and we can pour into you more. And you can know how you can stand with us, what, what we can do together to amplify this voice across the nation and glorify Jesus in a nation-shaking way. So go to askdrbrown.org, 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 and just click to receive the emails, and we'll put you on our welcome tour. We'll send you a free uh, mini ebook on how to pray for America. So let us pour into you. And, and let's find out how we can better connect, all right? AskDrBrown.org, sign up for the emails. Um, Travis asks on Facebook, how do we stir up the gifts of the Spirit as Paul told Timothy? Yes, so it is something that we're called to do. There are numbers of ways to do it. One is that we read the Word and meditate on the Word in areas that relate to the particular gift that we want to stir up. So if if it's... If it's a faith-related thing, we're constantly reading a, a faith-related passages and things that build our faith. If it's a, it's a healing-related, we're reading that. If it's relating to prophecy, we're reading that, meditating on it. That's, that's one thing. Uh, second thing is, are there promises God's given you? or are, are there these things he specifically f- spoke to you about this? Review those. A third thing is to, to be around those who operate in these ways or be in environments where this happens, or watch videos or read books about others who have operated in these ways. And as you do, something stirs and you, faith rises and you, confidence rises, and then do what you know how to do. Step out where you know how to step out. I don't mean that you go into a hospital and say, I'm gonna try this out, and shout through the, through the corridors of the hallways, everyone here is gonna be healed in Jesus' name or I'm a false prophet. No, you do that, you're gonna fall flat on your face and bring mockery to the name of Jesus. But Let's say God's used you in healing in the past, but it's been more dormant. So you read the word about it. You, 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 you remember, you go back to old testimonies in your own life. You read stories about others used in that. And then someone calls you, hey, could you come over? I'm really sick. It's like, yeah, let's, let's, let's pray. Let's ask God to heal. In other words, you, you step out in those things without making promises or proclamations, and you start to stir things up in your life. Um, let's see. This is a question from Benjamin. Thank you for your donation on YouTube. Do you have any advice on how to discern from knowing what is authentic versus false in the charismatic movement? Sure. First, everything's tested by the word. And if something is blatantly unscriptural, you reject it. In other words, if someone says, well, Jesus told me the spirit's here, you don't need the Bible anymore. You walk away from that in a heartbeat. If someone says, well, the Spirit says you have to come through me to be blessed by God, you walk away from that in a heartbeat. But there are other things that are not explicit in the Bible. In other words, why does someone fall? Why do they shake? Why is this? Well, the Bible doesn't explicitly address that. So how do you know if it's real or not? So first, you, you test things by the word. Second, you look at financial practices and character. Uh, if, if people are extorting money from you if they're trying to take advantage of people if they're using prophecy to raise money or things like that that's an unbiblical practice you walk away from that if, if things the person's advocating are contrary to godly character and lifestyle you walk away from that uh, you look at the overall fruit of a ministry as best as you can what kind of fruit is it bearing in your life is it drawing you closer to the Lord more into the word more into godly living more in a heart for the things of God that's the way that you judge things. Uh, those, those are the most basic fundamental ways that we we judge and examine things. So, uh, and then get my book, Playing with Holy Fire, where I give you signs of abusive leadership. This is charismatic or not charismatic, but especially in the charismatic movement, Playing with Holy Fire, you'll find that to be helpful. All right, I had to cut off Cedric with the break, but sir, you had a follow-up question, so please go ahead.
4: Oh uh, Yes, yeah, so... I was just going to ask about um, in Luke twenty one twenty four says that Jesus Jesus told the Jews that they were going to be carried away captive into every nation. Um, how do you demonstrate that happening?
1: Well, tragically, it, it it has happened. Jews have been scattered around the world uh, for for centuries, and it's right. kicked out of country after country uh, because of being Jews. You know, the anti semites say, "See, pretty- look, look how evil they are." you know they they right. got kicked out they got kicked out of different countries because they didn't, they weren't catholic they weren't muslim they didn't conform to the practices so yeah tra- but we can trace it in other words we know who the jewish people were in, in the first century no. and, and, yeah I, we know who they were historically I, in the first century we trace the literature we trace the movements and we can trace the scattering of the jewish people all around the world yeah
4: right No, i was asking because jesus said they would be carried away captive meaning they would be carried away as slaves into every Nation on the earth.
1: So I'm just trying to figure they, out it when you guys
4: are that that away into
1: all Yeah, it, it doesn't say that there'll be slaves in every nation, but they were they well, were captive, carried away captive. Away captive. captive? They were carried into slavery. If you read the first century history, that has happened.
4: Yeah. So they were carried away captive. Yeah, all nations.
1: Yeah, carried away captive, and they have been. Right, like what nations took you guys and carried you into all nations?
4: So yeah, so hang
1: on, hang on. Just, are you trying to say that this applies to blacks or Africans?
4: I'm not as, I'm not saying it applies to anyone. I'm trying to just figure out how you guys fit into that prophecy right there. I'm really not putting anybody on
1: it. Got it. All clear. Well, who else is it speaking of? We know who the Jewish people were in history. We know who they are through history. We know the attacks to wipe them out. But it doesn't say there'll be slaves in every nation. They'll be carried away captive, which is, is, is what happened. Here's, here's the other thing, though, sir. Uh, but here we We do know for a fact we do know for a fact that that the Jewish population in the first century in Jerusalem was not primarily african if there were, there were African Jews that would have been a small minority. so we know that for historical fact and and we know for historical fact that from Jerusalem that African slaves have not been carried to say Japan, for example okay so so we we know that but all nations in the Bible does not have to mean every single nation on the planet. It doesn't have to mean that there is, there is no people group of any kind that has been enslaved in every nation on the planet to be totally clear. All right. It is a general speech meaning all around the world. And that's, that's exactly what happened. Study the history of it though. It's, it's, it's sad. All right. Thank you for the call. Let's go to David in Germantown, Ohio. Welcome to the line of fire.
0: Hi, Dr. Brown. Hey. I really I really appreciate you taking the time uh, today. Thank you for your ministry and your program. You're very um, welcome. Really quickly, I know you're very busy, uh, but thank you for your labor on the commentary of the book of Job. I got that about six months ago. It's been a blessing to my ministry. Wonderful. Um, the question I had for you was in relationship to Job chapter 42, mm-hmm. 7 through 10, uh, where God uh, spoke to Eliphaz. And begin to correct them, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, uh, and but he does not include Elihu mm-hmm. in that particular chapter. And, and from what I can tell, he doesn't include him in any of those areas of quote correction. Yep. Um, I just want to know your your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. So it, it's it's part of the character of, of Elihu, who appears out of the blue, not mentioned earlier, and then disappears. So in that regard, as I explain about Elihu, he is an Elijah type of figure. Interestingly, there's only a difference in vowels between Elihu and Eliyahu in Hebrew. So even though Elihu and Elijah are very different names in English, in Hebrew, they're almost identical. So Elihu and Eliyahu its really basically a difference of a vowel there. Uh, So he is an Elijah type of figure, a forerunner who appears and then disappears. He's here. He prepares the way for the revelation of the Lord, and then he's gone. On the other hand, he demonstrates the limitations of human wisdom because his words still fall short. His words do not ultimately answer things. So even though on the one hand, he rightly rebukes both Job and the friends, he does repeat some of the errors of the friends, but it's, it's his role to be this Elijah, John the Baptist type of figure who appears and disappears. He's here, and then he's gone. So that's part of his role. But he's not just a a forerunner who prepares the way for the Lord. He also prepares the way for the Lord by demonstrating the limitations of human wisdom. So if if you look again in the introduction where I have a section on Elihu, read that again, and that should clarify why he's not included there, uh, just in terms of the nature of his role.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. I really
1: appreciate it. You are you are very welcome, and, and thanks for your gracious words. Uh, we work hard on things like commentaries, and so glad to know that pastors, leaders, others are using them and profiting from them. I appreciate it. Um, let's just see here. Back over on Facebook, let's see. Um, Shalom. Secular Hebrew refers to Jesus as Yeshu, well, Messianic Jews refer to him as Yeshua. Does the modern secular Hebrew name for Jesus derive from Galilean Aramaic? This is the name he would have been called by Aramaic-speaking Jews during his time on earth. Okay. Yeshua is certainly the biblical form, and and it it ends with an iron, and then you have what's called the non-syllabic glide vowel that makes a final uh, guttural like that more pronounceable. So say, The Hebrew for for spirit is ruach. That that is a non-syllabic glival called the patach for tivim. So it it is to elide your way into saying the the ach rather than just ruch. It's ruach. Or tablet instead of saying luch, it's luach. So instead of saying yeshu, which is uh, difficult, it's yeshua, which makes it more pronounceable. Now... There are scholars who claim that in Galilean Aramaic by the time of Jesus that that ah was dropped and Yeshua would have been the pronunciation but that cannot be proven for sure yeshua was the original pronunciation and in rabbinic literature, he's called Yeshu, and that final ion is dropped. It's, it's clearly a derogatory term there in rabbinic literature. And ultimately, is seen as an acronym standing for Yimach Shemovizikro, may his name and memory be obliterated. It has just come into modern Hebrew as the way people are used to it. It's not derogatory when an average Israeli says it is a secular Israeli, but Yeshua is the accurate original pronunciation and the one we try to recover. Thanks for the call. We'll be right back.
2: It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining
1: us. And if you don't have our app, download it. What are you waiting for? Thousands have. They're enjoying it. Ask Dr. Brown Ministries. Finally got it on Apple after years of trying. ASK Dr. Brown Ministries and the brand new one on Android, Google. Make sure you put Ministries in when you download the app. And if you like it, give it a good review, rate it, share it with your friends. It's it's a great tool. A lot of free resources there to, to edify, to help, to strengthen. All right, let's go to the phones. Bryant in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome to the line of fire.
3: Hey, Dr. Brown, appreciate you having me. Just two uh, quick inquiries for you. Um, First one is, have you ever experienced anti-Semitism in person in the church? I know you've had it online, but in person. And the second, if the Jews had accepted Yeshua in the first century, do you think Gentiles still would have, or do you think it would have remained a Jewish-only thing, and the Gentiles would have seen it as too Jewish if the Jews had accepted Yeshua?
1: Yeah, so the first question, overwhelmingly around the world, for over 50 years, I have been experiencing love, special love by Christians because I'm a Jew, because I'm a Jewish believer. In fact, Yesupadam in India, one of my closest friends in the world, and God willing, tomorrow I leave for, for India for my 28th trip there to be with Yesupadam and his team. Uh, he is convinced that the reason his ministry has been so supernaturally blessed worldwide is because of his joining together with me as a Jewish believer, So the anti-Semitism I may have experienced in the church is the rarest of rare. Uh, I have wished for years I could take rabbis and Jewish colleagues that don't believe in Yeshua with me around the world for them to experience what I've experienced, this outpouring of love and respect and grace overwhelmingly. Now, on YouTube and social media, I'll run into anti-Semites all the time, some of whom are professing Christians. So there, it's out there. There's a plague that's out there. but my own experience has been beautiful, wonderful. As for the hypothetical, uh, if, you want to say, in, in Acts three, so after Jesus rises from the dead, and the disciples are now preaching him. So he had to die for our sins. And, and Peter beginning in Acts 3:19 repent turn to God that your sins may be blotted out the times of refreshment may come from the presence of the Lord that he may send the messiah whom the heavens must receive until the time of the restoration of all things spoken of by the prophets if there had been massive repentance of the jewish people theoretically then that would have brought with it a wave of salvation to the whole world that how it would have happened God knows but in theory that would have happened Uh, and it wouldn't have been too Jewish because this would have been salvation for the nations. But that's all in theory. God foreknew what would happen and how it would work its way out and use the Jewish rejection as a way to bring the message to the Gentiles. But thank you, sir, for the question. I appreciate it. Um, Let me just go back over to Facebook. Aaron is an Arminian. Can you exegete Hebrews 6.6? It seems that this verse is saying that losing salvation is possible. Whoever gaining it back again is not would love to hear your explanation of the passage. I've actually been asked about it many times, as would be expected, Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, because it seems to say that if someone falls away, they can never come back. The best way I understand it is speaking to Jewish believers who thought they could have salvation and forgiveness outside of Jesus if they, they fell back into Judaism and the temple rites, that he's saying as long as you are crucifying the Son of God, there is no repentance. As long as you're in the state of rejecting him, there is no salvation. There are no sacrifices that work. Uh, Check out the ISV. So go to BibleGateway.com. Look at Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, but put it in the ISV, the International Standard Version. The translation leans in that direction, and that's my understanding. Um, Mitch. Why do Jews only address God as Hashem, the name, and refuse to say the actual name? Does this even apply for them during prayer? Also, why do most Jews online write God, G-D, and not the O? So that's out of respect and reverence for God. That's a Jewish person saying his name is too sacred to pronounce. By New Testament times, that was customary to say Lord instead of saying his actual name. So this has been something that's been part of Jewish tradition for millennia. Uh, saying Hashem, the name that that is something personal, though. In other words, when a Jew refers to Hashem, that's 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 God in a, in a in a special way to them. It's they're not referring to him as the name, the name. No, Hashem is is the new name, right? And 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 it's something that is is precious and meaningful to them. So that's why now in prayer. They, they, will, they will still not say the name Yahweh or however they would have pronounced it. They'll say Adonai instead. They'll say Elohim. They'll say those things in prayer. Uh, but if they're just talking to you casually, they, they won't, they'll, they'll pronounce those differently. They'll say Elohim instead of Elohim. So they're not actually saying the name is considered to be too sacred. Uh, let's go to William in Wilmington, Delaware. Welcome to the line of fire
0: uh thank you god bless i apologize dr brown i told the, the screener one question but i thought about another
2: one
1: go ahead go, go with the I'm other one that's that. all right um so,
2: so um is it okay to to say um uh, that um i was led to christ or i led him to christ or we lead people to christ is that okay to say because some christians don't uh, don't like they, they don't say that's like you're
0: correct
1: right it's, it's perfectly fine to say that that we we had that role. We were able by God's grace, we were able to lead this person to Jesus. We're not saying that we saved them. We're saying that we led them to Jesus who saved them. Jesus does say, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, right? So in that sense, we are out catching people by sharing the message and and showing the love of God to them and seeking to bring them to the Lord. So you know, there are people who don't like to, they don't like it said that anyone led them to God because they know it's God who saved them sovereignly and they, they want it to be known like that. Uh, maybe a, a better way to say it is, thank God I was able to help lead this person to Jesus. Insert that word. So we fully understand it's God's grace. He's the savior. He's the only one who does the work, right? That, that we are just vessels, but Sure. You could say, hey, praise God with these, you know, we're able to lead 20 people to the Lord in this missions trip. Everyone understands what you're saying. You were able to introduce them through the gospel to Jesus. In that sense, nothing wrong with it whatsoever. All right? All right, you are very welcome, sir. Absolutely. Um, Micah, do all people have a sin nature from birth? Yes. There are some Christians who say, no, it's only when you actually sin. Well, why does everybody sin? Because we're fallen. So we have a sin nature from birth. We're not fully held accountable for things until we come into an age of understanding, right? So, so a, a, a baby has, is still in a state of innocence, even though that baby's can do so. you know, a one-year-old can, can disobey a parent or something like that, or a two-year-old, but they're not held accountable as an adult would be. But yes, sin nature from birth. Uh, let's just see... Um, Okay, Jason, I've asked several people this question. No one has a good answer. Uh, if you can answer it for me, Matthew 25 the 10, Virgin bridegrooms, are we the virgin bridesmaids in the last days, or are we the bride, or are we this wise virgin that are part of the Bride of Christ? We are the bride, and the, this is a parable to talk about readiness. We are, we are the bride, but this is a parable about readiness. So, that's, so we apply the, the lesson of the parable. We're not trying to break down every person in it, every character in it, you know, or, we all, or is everyone bridesmaids, is everyone virgins? That's, that's not the thing. What about men? It's talking about women there. So that's not the issue. The, the issue is just like we're not a, a, a female bride if we're men, but the bride is the body. So it's a parable about the return of the Lord and readiness. And the return of the Lord is likened to a wedding, but the, the emphasis is not the wedding part. The emphasis is the readiness And who's ready who's not because he's coming at a a late hour all right so it's it's the application so no we are not the literally the bridesmaids as opposed to the bride we are Messiah's bride right Ephesians 5 however the parable is to illustrate a point so you don't want to break a parable down to go beyond what it's trying to teach it's illustrating a point about being ready and not being lax spiritually all right, um, let us go to Derek in Baltimore, Maryland. Welcome to the Line of Fire.
3: Hi, uh, Dr. Brown. Thank you so much for making yourself available for for uh, people like us in the body of Christ.
1: My joy, um, sure.
3: And I feel bad asking such a simple question, but uh, I guess because I'm struggling with it, that's why I feel I need to ask, and I'll have better questions in the future that I, can, that I definitely want to ask. But um, when it comes to um, marriage, um, I, I definitely accept the Word of God, you know, what God has put together, let no man put asunder. But if, and of course, I guess I can't say for sure that I know this is the case in this person's heart, but if uh, your relatives marry, m- m- marry someone that you don't really believe, that no one around you really believes is something someone God uh, wanted you to marry, and they're really dangerous um, at, at, as far as um, their their behavior, but also in using you and not really we don't really believe that he loves her and all that stuff even though and has been fornication adultery as well but um, if you're willing to forgive I, in my understanding that I, I believe that's okay of course if you're willing to forgive and you feel like the person repented but in this case the person hasn't um, are we really supposed to support this marriage as a family or how do we how are we and I apologize
1: all right so so hey Derek it's a great question it's an important question I need to apologize I have to apologize because time is short. Do whatever you can to see the marriage made whole. Do whatever you can to pray for both parties. Do whatever you can if there's blatant sin in one heart to pray for repentance and to appeal to that person to repent. But if the one person is going to break away, if they've committed adultery, fornication, if they want a divorce break away. you can't stop it. Sometimes we try so hard, but, but you can't stop it. And if that's the case, there can be life for the person that was divorced on the other side of that. So you do your best to see reconciliation, restoration. But if the person is determined to go on and sin and they they leave, you can't stop it. Hey, I, I wish I had more time. If you need more, you can always write to us. Hopefully we can be of help. May the blessing of the Lord be on you. Pray for me as I leave for India tomorrow.